Good morning, New Life. I'm Tasha, the River Islands Campus Director, which is set to launch very soon, by the way. And we got a lot to talk about this morning that's going to require some thinking and reflecting and probably a little readjusting of the way that we spend our time. How have you been spending your time, by the way? And you can be honest, we all have things that we could or should be working on that we just keep putting off, call it one of our quirks. But you know what I love about the internet? You discover that there are people out there just like you that have the same quirks. Like, look at this meme, so relatable. Yep, that was me. And I didn't procrastinate on everything. I mean, it was really just, you know, the things I didn't want to do. What's worse is it wasn't just glue and construction paper. Like you guys, my mom had Pinterest worthy cabinets full of school supplies growing up. So she was prepared. And you know what, honestly, I know my mom's watching this right now. And as she saw that picture just a second ago, she probably got some flashbacks. Yep, just me and her marching down the grocery store aisle at 9 p.m., me about 20 paces behind, already in my pajamas, head hanging down in shame and her going, why on God's green earth do you need saffron threads for your sixth grade project? And then me debating whether I should try to explain to her that in Libya, the country I chose for my cooking project, they make pizza. And I thought, hey, I'll choose pizza because pizza's easy to make. So that's why I chose it. And apparently they use saffron threads. And I don't know what those are, but it turns out that just my luck, they use the one ingredient that can't be found in any godforsaken store in this entire town, or just choose to leave her question unanswered. Yeah, details like that only harbor in the deepest, darkest parts of our brains, am I right? But we all wait to do things. Like, let's just get real, I want you to be honest. You know, as I just told my story, you were reminded of one of your own. Maybe you waited until right before a sporting event to ask a parent to wash and dry and iron your uniform. Or maybe you waited until the gas tank was actually completely past empty and you broke down on the side of the road. Or maybe, you kept putting off asking your boss for time off from work because you wanted to go to your, with your friends to the beach. And then you wake up two weeks later on beach day and you realize, oh, I never asked my boss for time off. So you go to the beach with your friends anyways and you never show up for your shift at Bath and Body Works ever again. Yes, that was me too, okay. But like I said, the beauty of the internet is that we find out there are people just like us. Like in this video, this guy did something I totally would have done. Check out this clip. So in college, I was a government major, which means I had to write a lot of papers. Now, when a normal student writes a paper, they might spread the work out a little like this. So, you know, <laughs> you get started maybe a little slowly, but you get enough done in the first week that with some heavier days later on, everything gets done and things stay civil. And I would want to do that like that. That would be the plan. I would, uh, I would have it all ready to go, but then, then, then actually the paper would, would come along, and then I would kind of do this. <laughs> and that would happen every single paper. But then came my 90-page senior thesis, a paper you're supposed to spend a year on. I knew for a paper like that, my normal workflow was not an option, it was way too big a project. So I planned things out, and I decided, it kind of had to go something like this. This is how the year would go. So I'd start off light, and I'd bump it up in the middle months, and then at the end, I would kick it up into high gear. It's just like a little staircase. How hard could it be to just walk up the stairs? No big deal, right? But then, funniest thing happened. Those first few months, they came and went, and I, I couldn't quite do stuff. So we had an awesome new revised plan. 
And then, but then those middle months actually went by, and I didn't really write words, and so we were here. And then two months turned into one month, which turned into two weeks. And one day I woke up with three days until the deadline, <laughs> still not having written a word. And so I did the only thing I could. I wrote 90 pages over 72 hours, pulling not one but two all-nighters. Humans are not supposed to pull two all-nighters. Sprinted across campus, dove in slow motion, and got it in just at the deadline. I thought that was the end of everything. But a week later, I get a call, and it's the school. And they say, "Is this Tim Urban?" And I say, "Yeah." And they say, "We need to talk about your thesis." And I say, "Okay." And they say, "It's the best one we've ever seen." <laughs> That did not happen. <laughs> It was a very, very bad thesis. I just wanted to enjoy that one moment when all of you thought this guy is amazing. It happens. We can say we forgot, but most of us intentionally put things off for whatever reason. But today we're going to talk about the things that aren't okay to put off, the things in God's word, and how to tell that procrastinating part of our brain no, now. And if you don't think you're a procrastinator, let me burst your bubble and point out to you a few things you should be doing. Things that we know as Christians we should be doing, but most of us are putting off. Colossians 3 verses 12 to 15 says, "Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive." And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So there's a lot here. It says we as followers of Christ should be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. It adds in at the end, oh yeah, and be thankful. And somewhere in the middle, it says to forgive, love, and let peace rule your heart. And this is just one verse in the entire Bible, but I'm sure there's already some things in there that we can all see we can work on, like the one that you probably heard me say, and you're avoiding wanting to talk about: forgive. We are called to forgive, and it's easy to put that off along with everything else on that list. Some of us are choosing to not be thankful, or we aren't letting peace rule our hearts. And I don't think we intend on being ungrateful people forever, or people who aren't accomplishing anything. We're just putting it off. Let's do another one. Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Are we going out and making disciples? Are we sharing Jesus with our family and friends and neighbors and coworkers and strangers? I think this is probably the most common thing we procrastinate in doing as the church. Remember, it's not just the church leadership's job to invite people, to connect people with God, to tell people how much our lives have changed since we let God into it. It's all of our responsibility as human beings. Have you been putting that off? Let's read John 13 verses 12 through 17. Now this is happening the night that Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. 
It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his robe and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So the part I want you to highlight or underline or circle or whatever you like to do in your Bible are the words, if you do them. That phrase implies a condition, an agreement, a part of the deal we're responsible for keeping. See, Jesus does make it very clear to his disciples and to others that God's forgiveness is free, that there's nothing we need to do or can do to earn his forgiveness or to pay him back for it. But think of it like the way you love your kids. Or like me, if you're not a parent, then think of it the way your parents love you. Your kids don't need to earn your love, but if you're planning on giving them the things they want, you have some expectations for the way they need to act. God does the same with us. He tells us he loves us and we've been forgiven, but he also says that if we do what it says in his word, we'll also be blessed and our relationship will be stronger. So now that we've got some examples from the Bible, the question I want you to answer honestly is this. Where in God's word have you been procrastinating? Are you reading your Bible every day? And I don't just mean skimming through today's Bible plan on the app so your streak, your streak doesn't go back to zero. I mean, are you really reading it to hear from God? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And if so, does that include the way you treat people on social media? Are you tithing, giving God the 10% that he asks for? Because we learned from Kyler last week that that's not a suggestion. Are you telling the truth or are you bending the truth because you see it as there are worse sins than lying? Are you working hard at whatever you do or do you find yourself getting a little lazy or complaining about the work that you do have? Kids and teens, are you obeying and honoring your parents? All of these examples are straight from the word of God, by the way. James 1 verses 22 to 25 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, before we take a second and reflect, I want to address the elephant in the room. I believe, just from my own experience, that there are two things we do as Christians when we're challenged by someone to change. Now, again, I'm guilty of this, but maybe you're guilty of one or both of these. The first one is we think, well, I'm a good person, so this message must not be for me. And I'm here to say that too many times we Christians use the phrase, I'm a good person, to deflect from our sin. We only feel the need to point out that we're still good people, I'm still a good person, when someone questions our decisions or our motives. And then we wonder why Christians in general are stereotyped as hypocrites. That's because sometimes we are. You might be a good person. You might be an incredible person. But God wants you to be better. The second thing we do is that we think the message is so good for the person next to us. Mm. I hope my husband is hearing this. I hope my wife knows this message is for her. Lord, thank you for speaking the truth into my child. 
You know what? I'm going to share this message on Facebook, not because it changed me or meant anything to me, but because then hopefully Karen from work will see it. And you're probably thinking, how did she know? It's because we're all guilty of it. We've all done it. And we miss out on a lot of what God is trying to teach us because of it. Now, it's different if you realize like you've been there. Whatever the preacher or the speaker is talking about, you're like, I've been through this, but now I'm on the other side. And your heart starts to hurt for the person next to you. So that's different. Case in point, Kyler, my little sister. She preached last week and she talked about how she was feeling convicted by a message about tithing, not for herself, but for others. She's been in a position where tithing wasn't a regular thing and where her finances were affected by it. But since she finally saw the fruit of her labor and how her faithfulness and obedience actually had an impact on her finances and on her comfort in life, her heart did hurt for the person next to her because she wanted them to have the same thing. See, that's the Holy Spirit. But we need to know the difference between the Holy Spirit and our own judgment of others. This message is for you. And if you consider yourself a part of the New Life family, then every message you hear every Sunday is for you. No matter what the subject is, regardless of who's speaking, or whether or not you feel like it applies to you, the message is for you. And I think as Christians, we waste so much time being all too happy to give life advice while becoming complacent in our own. So instead of thinking what a good person you are or hoping the person sitting next to you is getting something from this message, let's be honest with ourselves. Are you really having trouble finding something in God's word that you've been procrastinating on? If so, let's read 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 to 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Okay, so all scripture, that means the whole Bible, is meant to teach us the truth and show us where we're getting off track. So if we're looking for a place where we're falling short and we want to know from God, how can I be better? We need to be looking in our word. And I encourage you to ask God before you even open it, God, what more can I do? Where am I missing the mark? How can I be better? Because if you're giving me this word today, there must be something more that you want me to do. There's, in that verse, it also says, it corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. You guys, I'm married. I'm, I'm a newlywed. And I can confidently tell you, I do not like being corrected when I'm wrong. In fact, I know everyone's guilty of this, so don't lie. If I'm in an argument, or excuse me, a, a challenging discussion with my husband, and I realize halfway through the conversation that I'm actually wrong, I guess I'm in too deep. I'm taking this very incorrect information that I have and this mistake, and I'm rolling with it, taking it to the finish line, because I do not like admitting when I'm wrong. But even though I hate it, I'd rather be corrected by my loving husband in the safety of our home than to be corrected by someone who doesn't really care about me. And I'd definitely rather be corrected by my loving God in the word than by anyone else. So after we've asked God, what more can I do? And we start to read our word. We've got to be willing to accept the correction he gives us. You say, well, how will I know when God's correcting me? Oh, you'll know. Yeah, it'll hit you like a ton of bricks and it ain't fun, but it's necessary for our growth. I promise you, you'll be reading. I have loved you. 
with an everlasting love. And you'll wipe a tear and look up to the heavens and ponder how the Lord of creation could love you so much. And then 10 seconds later, you'll read, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. <laughs> okay, ouch. I know that one was for me, thanks God. So we're gonna put a 60 second timer on the screen. And I want you to answer this question either to yourself or to a loved one, or write it down if you want it to be private. Where in God's word have you been procrastinating? You did it. I'm proud of you. Now we've got something to work with. Next, what I want you to do is take that thing you wrote down and work on it today. Because remember, this message isn't just encouraging you to do the thing. It's encouraging you to do it right now. No more procrastinating. So here are three ways to get started on that thing in God's word you've been procrastinating on. Number one, refute your procrastination. The word refute means to deny or contradict. If I asked you why you've been procrastinating, why you haven't been doing that thing in God's word, you probably would have an answer, probably have a few answers. I'm encouraging you to refute them by finding a verse that challenges that thinking, that challenges the excuses that you're making. Let me give you an example. If you've been putting off forgiving someone, make this your life verse for a while. But if we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted to forgive us and take away our sins. I think what better reminder to forgive others than to remember that God forgave you. God forgave me. The creator of the universe took the time to say, no, I'm gonna wipe your slate clean. You're forgiven. That's motivation that I want to forgive somebody else. So whatever verse you find, you decide, whatever really reminds you, no, my excuses don't matter. That's what I want you to put on your bathroom mirror, put in your car. My friend actually um, recently asked me, what's a way that I can remember this verse? I wanna keep it with me all the time. I said, just Google the verse and make sure it's worded correctly. Um, go to Google images and then find a picture that you like and put it as the wallpaper on your screen, on your phone. You always have your phone with you, so you'll always have that verse with you. When you check the time, you'll see it. When you open your phone, you'll see it. So try that out. And then consistently remind yourself that your excuses are just that, excuses. So number one was refute your procrastination. And number two is harness your inner Obadiah. Sorry, what? Obadiah. He was a man in the Old Testament who worked for the most evil king that Israel had ever seen. This king was evil. But what's cool about Obadiah is, even though he was the head of the king's palace, he was the king's chief of staff, he was actually a man of God. In fact, 1 Kings 18.4 tells us that one time when the king's wife, who was also evil, <laughs> how cute, was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah actually took a hundred of those prophets who were in danger and hid them in two caves with food and water and shelter and made sure that they were safe until the coast was clear and they could come out. So this was a good guy who genuinely cared about God and cared about his people and who he had called. And even when he wouldn't act like the rest of the palace officials who were worshiping idols and compromising their morals, he still somehow kept his high position in the palace. So if what you've been procrastinating on doing has to do with the fear of what you might lose or maybe the fear of what others will think, then here's what I learned from Obadiah. People pleasing isn't always necessary. We don't need to lower our standards of behavior to keep our labels around the people that we hang out with. 
If we do it right, we can find ourselves in the middle of a group of sinful people, whether at work or at a family function, and still choose to be faithful to God and have good friends and have a really great, cool job and have a really close family. See, I think as Christians, we either get weird or we get really mean when we're hanging out with people that aren't Christians. We feel like we have to either be exactly like them and, you know, lower our standards and maybe sin and do things that are going to make us feel really guilty. Or we feel like we need to be this holy person who's judging the person next to us. You shouldn't go into your family function or into your break room at work and go, you're a sinner. But we do one of those two things, and I think we should find a gray area right in the middle. We can have both. We can have God and a really great life. We don't have to choose one or the other. And who knows, you being yourself and not wavering for others might actually encourage someone else in, their, in your group of friends or of, of family members to raise their standard of living too. So refute your procrastination, harness your inner Obadiah, and number three, don't take days off. I remember loving and hating summers as a kid. I loved them because of the break from school and being able to stay up late and hang out with my friends. But I hated them because I knew if I was away from school long enough, I wouldn't want to go back. And we have those with things as adults too, right? We start to work out or we're eating healthy or we want to go to bed earlier or drink more water. We build such good habits. And then we take one day off and we either never do it again or we have to start back at square one, building that habit up again. When it comes to God's commands, there are no days off. Joshua 1.8 says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. So don't put yourself in a position where you'll have to work twice as hard to build that good habit up again. Just be disciplined and find accountability. Find someone who's also trying to better themselves and agree to push each other to keep each other accountable. Proverbs chapter six is titled lessons for daily life. Don't we all need that? And in the first couple of verses, it's talking about what to do when you make a deal with someone and can't keep your end of the deal. It says, when you realize you can't pay back the debt, you should swallow your pride and beg them to excuse you from the debt. And in the New Living Translation, it wraps it up in verse four by saying this, don't put it off, do it now. Don't rest until you do. Can we just make that our mantra? Need to ask for forgiveness? Don't put it off, do it now. Need to forgive someone else? Don't put it off, do it now. Need to start showing your spouse more affection or appreciation? Need to start taking time alone with Jesus every day? Need to finally tell that family member about your faith? Don't put it off, do it now. I read a story a few weeks ago I had to include in this message when I realized what God wanted me to talk about here. Um, it's a man from Virginia sharing his experiences from 9-11. I think instead of summarizing it, I just wanna read you his actual words because this is a crazy story. He said, a few weeks before September 11th, my wife and I found out we were going to have our first child. She planned a trip to California to visit her sister. On our way to the airport, we prayed that God would grant my wife a safe trip and be with her. Shortly after I said amen, we both heard a loud pop and the car shook violently. We had blown out a tire. I replaced the tire as quickly as I could, but we still missed her flight. Both very upset, we drove home. 
I received a call from my father, who was retired NYFD. He asked what my wife's flight number was, but I explained that we missed the flight. My father informed me that her flight was the one that crashed into the Southern Tower. I was too shocked to speak. My father also had more news for me. He was going to help. He said, this isn't something I can just sit by for. I have to do something. I was concerned for his safety, of course, but more because he had never given his life to Christ. After a brief debate, I knew his mind was made up. Before he got off the phone, he said, take good care of my grandchild. Those were the last words I ever heard my father say. He died while helping in the rescue effort. My joy that my prayer of safety for my wife had been answered quickly became anger. I was angry at God, at my father, and at myself. I had gone for nearly two years blaming God for taking my father away. My son would never meet his grandfather. My father had never accepted Christ, and I never got to say goodbye. But then something happened. About two months ago, I was sitting at home with my wife and son when there was a knock on the door. I looked at my wife and son, um, but I could tell that my wife wasn't expecting anyone. I opened the door to a couple with a small child. The man looked at me and asked if my father's name was Jake Matthews. I told him it was. He grabbed my hand and said, I never got the chance to meet your father, but it's an honor to meet his son. He explained to me that his wife worked in the World Trade Center and had been caught inside after the attack. She was pregnant and was caught under the debris. He then explained that my father had been the one to find his wife and free her. My eyes welled up with tears as I thought of my father giving his life for people like this. He then said, there's something else you need to know. His wife then told me that as my father worked to free her, she told him uh, about Christ and she led him to Christ. I began sobbing at the news. Now I know that when I get to heaven, my father will be standing beside Jesus to welcome me and that this family would be able to thank him themselves. When their baby boy was born, they named him Jacob Matthew in honor of the man who gave his life so that a mother and baby could live. Don't wait. Don't wait to tell your family, your friends, your neighbors about Jesus. Don't wait to get healthy physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Don't wait to save money or be responsible with it or tithe. God intervened in this man's father's life, but he was this close to an eternity in hell before the woman who was uh, in the process of being saved helped to save him. Jesus is counting on us to be his hands and his feet. We're his modern day disciples, and if we're serious about following him, we need to do what he's calling us to do. And when that little voice in our head says, later, we can say, no, now. Because if we're the only ones in creation to be made in the image of God, and if the stars and the mountains and the oceans and the wind and the rocks and everything in creation obeys the one who created them, and if their life's work is dedicated to bringing glory to God, then why shouldn't ours? So wherever you're at, I want you to stand up and sing with me and tell God that we're ready to stop procrastinating. We're ready to take the next step and we're ready to live our lives the way that he intended it with every breath from our lungs praising him. So let's sing these words together and mean them.
you for your blessings. Thank you for all that you've given us, and thank you for New Life Church. God, I thank you for raising the standards that you have for us, that we can find right in your word. Thank you for this book of instruction that tells us the truth and points out to us when we are wrong. God, we confess to you that there are things we've been putting off in your word that you require of us. God, we ask for your forgiveness in those things, God. We believe that you can help us carry out the task that you have for us. We believe that you're going to be with us every step of the way, but we ask for your help, God. We need confidence and we need boldness to read your word and accept your correction and accept the call that you have for us and then respond, God, with authority. So God, we commit each and every day for the rest of our lives to you and to what your word has called us to do. God, we thank you in advance for everything that you're going to do in and through us and our families and our greater New Life Church family, God. God, I know that we're making Satan really, really worried right now, and we're going to keep doing that the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Well, I hope you heard from God this morning. And if you're ready and wanting to take the journey a step further, please join me on Wednesday at noon right here on Facebook and YouTube for a Bible study that'll go over some more practical ways to quit procrastinating and accomplish more of what God has called you to do. I'll see you then.